Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, prayed for them, and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, it is such a deep joy to be back with you again. I think it was two years ago, maybe I was with you uh, before the apocalypse. Well done, you made it through uh, to the other side. And uh, it's a special joy to be with you on this really significant uh, Sunday as we commission Tyler into this new role. As I've uh, been hanging out, walking around, I've just been marveling at what God has done in your midst over the last two years since I was here. I, I feel like, you know, an old grandpa going, wow, how you've grown. And it's amazing because, I don't know, you obviously didn't get the memo. You're meant to have, like, declined through COVID, but you seem to have somehow managed to grow. Obviously, new home. Amazing. Beautiful. Stunning. Hallelujah. A new leader. I mean, who saw that coming two years ago? Uh, a new passion for prayer, clearly in you. you. You've got to understand this. The greatest miracle is not an answer to prayer. The greatest answer to prayer is when God's people pray. God finds it easy to answer prayers because he's God. But the thing that he will not do is violate the human free will. So when human beings finally say, I'm not going to just trust in my own devices, I'm not going to try and struggle my way through, I'm going to bow the knee, humble myself, and cry out to God. I'm going to push into the presence of God. It is that decision that becomes the hinge of human history, the bended knee. And so when I see a church like yours pushing into prayer the way that you are right now, I know this is a work of the Spirit. If you're around churches like this, you'll often hear people, it's like you're always on the brink of something. You know, God might do this in the future, or if you do that, something else will happen. I'm not speaking future tense. I'm speaking present tense. Right now, in this community, there is a move of the Spirit that is going on measurably, empirically. Hallelujah. And, and so glory to God, more Lord. But, but when a church, not in South Korea or Indonesia, one of the most prayerful nations on earth, or in South America, when a church in North America, uh, in the West, is praying night and day, and after a month of that, can't stop and say, we're going to keep going three months, that is a move of the Spirit of God. When we started 24-7, you actually had to go to South Korea to see night and day prayer. It was unthinkable that people would do it in the West, anywhere. The odd crazy church would do a half night or maybe an all night of prayer, but it was unthinkable. And now we're just like, yeah, we're doing this thing. We're just praying nonstop. This is a move of the Spirit of God. So there's a new home. 
There's a new leader. There's a new uh, passion for prayer. Uh, we, we, we had a number of the 24-7 uh, leaders here in town over the last few days, and you should feel so proud of Tyler. He was just utterly brilliant. Uh, someone said to me it was like he was showing this just absolute genius strategically, but also his deep and tender heart for the Lord and for people. And um, then we, we got down to your prayer room. We'd got one of the precious slots in the prayer room. And so you've got all, the, like, all these big cheeses in 24-7 USA. They're all in there praying. And it came to the end of the hour, and Tyler said to me, we've got to get out because someone's got the next slot, and they'll be, you know, in a godly way, really cross if we take their time, you know. And so um, I snuck out, and I don't know which service she goes to, but it was Brianna's. And I said, Brianna, I don't want to freak you out, but like the entire leadership of 24-7 Prayer USA is in that prayer room. They'd like to pray for you if that's okay. And she came in and there's all these people praying for her and then we left her to it with the Lord. And so there's something beautiful that's going on in your midst. And also there's, it's noticeable, this isn't just this big kind of happy, clappy, insular thing. There are new terms of engagement upon this church. And so I am so excited about what is happening uh, with the whole relationship with civil righteousness and J.T. Thomas. Uh, listen, I love the Black Voices thing you're doing. And last week's, uh, Dara, uh, you're, I don't know again where you are, Dara, that was an unbelievable interview you did and everyone needs to listen to it. And so there's something stirring in this church at this time. And I, I want to say, as someone just coming in with a funny accent from outside, uh, I want to say just simply, well done. It's not really my job to do that, but someone's got to do it. Well done, because I know for a fact, I've been a pastor more than a quarter of a century. This is, it has, has involved sacrificial giving. It, it's in, it involved you guys pushing through, and, and there's a cost to this. I want to say thank you. Thank you so much. In a world that d denies Jesus or ignores Jesus, or, or, or even amongst the Christians, it's often just a consumer experience. Thank you for being those saying, we are going to live for something greater than ourselves. And I wanted to just do something right at the start. It's a little unusual. But I've noticed that when a church like, like this one grows quite dramatically, at the heart of it, everyone always focuses on the leaders. But there's always what I can only call just godly saints right at the heart of the church. And that really is what God seems to build upon. And so if you've been in Bridgetown Church for more than five years, uh, in a moment, I just want you to stand because you don't want us to do this, but I feel like we need to do this. I just want us to honor the way you've given sacrificially, the way you have loved consistently and that you have prayed faithfully because we are reaping where you have sown. This stuff doesn't come out of nowhere. You sowed stuff. So um, I hope there's some people who've been here more than five years. But if you have and you'd like to, would you just stand? Because we just want to say thank you to you. It's as simple as that. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you. Thank you for sowing in tears. Thank you for giving. We, we, honest, we honor you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please be seated. 
I'd prepared a message that would have fitted perfectly with your 10-week teaching series on Teachers to Pray, and it is going to kind of fit, but on the plane over, God spoke to me very clearly. I was saying to him, God, what are you doing at Bridgetown? And he said, I am making them into an Antioch community. I am making an Antioch church. He actually said to me, I'm raising them up to be a city on a hill. And I didn't know that you have this little bit of liturgy you're using at the moment about being a city on a hill. And so uh, what I want to do is just uh, unpack a little bit of that scripture that Tyler just read about the church in Antioch, which is in the, right in the south of modern-day Turkey and was often known as the, as the, as the cradle of Christianity uh, because it was such a key place for the faith. Acts chapter 13 is like a turning point, point in the book of Acts because at this moment and in this place, Antioch, we see the launch of the first great missionary journey of uh, Saul, as he's been called, and then very soon he'll be renamed Paul and Barnabas, and they get sent out from this community. But it's not just the beginning of that great kind of missional push. It's also a shift from an emphasis on the apostle Peter to it's going to become like the spotlight is going to move to the apostle Paul. This is where it begins to happen. And on top of that, there is a shift here from Jerusalem as the great apostolic hub to Antioch being that sending center. And then there is also a shift here because Antioch was distinctive because they were successfully preaching the gospel to Gentiles. It wasn't just a phenomenon anymore that the gospel was spreading amongst the Jewish diaspora in these different cities. But in Antioch, they really began to engage with what we might call the unchurched. And so this is a key place, a key moment. There also seems to be a bit of an anointing on the Antioch church for branding, for, for language. It's really interesting to me, if you read a little earlier in chapter 11 of Acts, that it is in Antioch that followers of the way of Jesus get renamed Christians. It's here. And it is also here that we see this shift from Saul to Paul. There seems to be something that they do playfully with language in Antioch. And I believe that one of the calls upon you as a church is to give new language to the things that God is doing. And uh, so I want to draw out two particular uh, themes uh, here from, uh, from this passage. And the first is this. Notice that at the heart of this critical moment, you find a people in prayer. Verse 2, it is whilst they were worshipping and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. And then verse 3, after they had fasted and prayed. So Bethany was just talking about this call to fast uh, on Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday as the whole world actually is called to pray and fast, particularly for Ukraine. As we join in that, this is a deeply biblical thing to do. 
And so the great missional explosion out from uh, the church in Antioch does not come because they've got an Excel spreadsheet and a great business plan or, or they've gone to like some, you know, strategic exercise. It comes as they are worshiping and fasting, pushing into the presence of God and the Spirit of God speaks. We can only assume through a prophet uh, and we see that prophets uh, played a very important role, uh, Agabus and others, in the life of the church in Antioch. And so here they are pushing into God's presence. Joy Dawson once said, anything not born in prayer is born in pride. Anything not born in prayer is born in pride. Because fundamentally, we either think we can make stuff happen, even for Jesus, or we humble ourselves and say, God, it's got to be you. Uh, as John said earlier, not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit. And that's exactly what we see here. We are gathering this Sunday in serious times. Clearly, with thousands already killed in Ukraine, with hundreds of thousands displaced, with very, very serious threats being made by uh, Putin. It is very serious, not just for Europeans, for the world. And yet I got a message in this morning. You know, 70% of people in Ukraine call themselves Christians. And I got a message in this morning from someone in Ukraine saying, we are being inundated with requests for Bibles. We can't keep up with the demand suddenly for Bibles in Ukraine. Another message about um, a female evangelist on university campuses in Ukraine. And, they, and they're saying, uh, because the men are all being called up to go and fight, it's all on us now. But there is this incredible openness to the gospel because it clarifies things, these moments. And it doesn't have to be a war footing, but when we hit tragedy, we hit uh, bereavement, we hit sick, sickness, we start to think, actually, life matters, and I've got to work out what's true and what isn't. And so we push into prayer. And, you know, as Brian has outlined, that's kind of the story of my life. I got hijacked by this call to prayer. Uh, I, I, I was busy planning churches with my wife, Sammy, and then it all kind of went crazy one day. It was actually in, um, in the summer of 1999, before some of you were even born. And I was, I was waking in the night feeling really frustrated. I know many of you have read Red Moon Rising. You know this story. But I, I, I got spiritually hungry. I, I, I was longing for more of God. And actually things were going quite well in the church. But I was worried that we, just our programs would work and God could die and we wouldn't notice. And so uh, I realized the key to everything is the presence of God in prayer. And I didn't personally want to be the guy that Jesus talks about at the end of the age who, who, who says to Jesus, look at all the cool stuff I did for you. And he says, yeah, but we never actually knew each other. And so we started a prayer room. Uh, when I suggested praying night and day, 
uh, which was an idea we were stealing from the Moravian Christians in the 18th century. But uh, when I suggested it, like the elders of our church just said, this is, this is a stupid idea because like, we're getting three old ladies and a goat to our church prayer meeting and the goat's not committed. And, uh, and I just said, well, look, if we only manage a week, it'll still be more praying than we've ever done before. Do you know how embarrassing it is, by the way, that you finally confess that this thing that, you know, as a pastor you're meant to be good at, prayer, is actually what you're really bad at. And then out of that, God's joke is that then for the rest of your life, everyone says, you're the prayer guy. And you only got into it because you said, I'm bad at this. But we started praying. You know, Spurgeon says prayer is an art that only the Holy Spirit can teach us. Pray until you can pray. And so you guys are learning this right now by blocking that hour, that two hours in the prayer room. You are learning to pray by just making space for the presence of God. And so... We began doing that, and you know the story. Uh, it was the beginning of a movement that's now in over half the nations on earth. We've been praying nonstop uh, since uh, 1999, 5th of September 1999. And that first prayer room, just such extraordinary things began to happen as people encountered angels. And, and uh, I, I always said, I, I don't know if they were just getting carried away or if it really was angels. But what I do know... But what I do know is this, that uh, suddenly there's a whole bunch of people saying, whoa, we've got to get in the prayer room, there's angels in there. And then there's other people going, I'm not going anywhere near the prayer room. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, we had atheists come into the prayer room and say, oh, you can really feel God in here. And we'd say, yeah, but you don't believe in God. They're like, no, I don't believe in God, but I can feel him here. <laughs> and... And just also, and also, I found it so moving, and I've seen this in your prayer room, just to just to see the pain that we all carry, the lament of a community expressed on the wall. So uh, I used to be a bit suspicious of people who prayed a lot because I was worried they never did anything. And then what I began to discover is, no, if people push into the presence of God, all the other stuff happens as well. I remember a girl called Sam. She just messaged me actually a few days ago. She got saved. And the very next day, she spent two, three hours in the prayer room. And I was like, Sam, that's amazing. Like, you've only been a Christian 36 hours, and you spent like two of them in the prayer room. And she said, oh, I just assumed that's what we do now with Christians. So I hope you don't mind. On your behalf, I just lied to her. I said, absolutely, that's what we all do. <laughs> And it was just amazing. And then the thing just began spreading. And that was really surprising. And here we are all these years later. And, and uh, you know, it's a truly global movement, a move of the spirit. And so um, we see that this isn't strange. This is what God does. The church in Antioch are there in prayer. They're worshiping and fasting. And then the spirit of God comes and speaks. So I'm just excited to see what is already coming out of your, your prayer and what is going to come uh, in the future. I believe the Lord wants to say that the way you are contending for his presence right now has caught his attention. Uh, I, I really want to honor Peter Quint uh, because this, this man, Peter, do you mind standing up? I know you hate this, but this, this man is, is on your board if you don't know him. 
And, and when Tyler was being interviewed for the role, he was told, you know, at this dinner, the, the guy you got to watch out for is Peter Quint. He's going to ask you awkward questions. And so he's real nervous, and he ends up sitting next to Peter at the dinner. And Peter's one question for Tyler was, have you heard of this thing called 24-7 prayer? And Tyler said, yeah, I'm all about that. And Peter said, I'm trying to start it in my garage. This is right, isn't it? I'm trying to start it in my garage. Would you help if you come here? And Peter, I just want to say, your dream was to get 24-7 started in your garage. But the Lord heard your prayers. We want to honor you for your faithfulness and prayers. I know it's not just you, but you saw something in the Spirit. And it's not just your garage. It's this facility that has a beating heart now of prayer and the presence of God and what God is doing in this community. So much bigger than what you could imagine then with, you know, the garage is going to spread and be a resource right across the nations. So we honor you and we thank you for your leadership and for pioneering prayer. Thank you, sir. God bless you. And, and, you know, just if you talk to any of the 24-7 leaders, you'll hear stories like that of people getting kind of hijacked by this weird thing, by prayer. Uh, Lisa Coons, who, who heads up, you know, prayer rooms for us all around America, and, and Tyler's, you know, be a key part of Tyler's team now. She's, she's in Charlotte, North Carolina. She was um, just setting out to plant a church. This is like 17 years ago. And they went into a season of prayer and fasting in which she stepped into an open vision. So she was awake, but she had a full, like, visionary experience. It's not always like this, but it does happen. It's in the Bible. It still happens today. In her vision, she was walking down this fiery corridor, and she could see three words on the wall at the end. When she got to the three words, they said, prayer, mission, justice prayer mission justice and she is like what is that so she googles it if any of you know anything about 24 7 prayer our slogan is prayer mission and justice so the google the algorithm took her to us so she said okay this is what god is calling me to do so instead of planning a church she started the charlotte house of prayer that's been going 17 years now and for a long time we just noticed Who's this person in Charlotte who's just hacking all our stuff, you know, just using our brand? Like, who is this? And eventually someone got on a plane to go and see her, and she's like, God divinely called me to do this in an open vision, and I've been doing it ever since. And those are the moments you realize this isn't man's idea. God is doing something. God is stirring people and calling people to pray, like the church in Antioch, because that is where all the things we long to see are born. That is where we we find the justice of God for our society. That's where we find the revelations, the vision, the impetus, the power of the Spirit, the heart for the lost in the presence of God. And by the way, we don't just pray to get people saved. We get people saved so they can pray, right? To know Jesus. And so the Lord is raising you up as an Antioch community, and that is first to do with your centering on the presence of God in prayer. But the church in Antioch was also, of course, a pioneering people. They were a praying people, but they were a pioneering people. They were a sending center, an apostolic 
hub. It's interesting that in Acts 13 verse 1, you see this list of all the different people who uh, were being gathered into the church in Antioch. You have. Now, this list is almost certainly like a taster menu. But he says, uh, there were prophets and teachers. So we've got different uh, gifts. You know, Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 says, you build the church on apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and sometimes it adds uh, those with operational administrative gifts as well. And, and so here we have prophets and teachers. And, and then it lists them. It says, colon, lists them. Barnabas, we'll talk about him in a second. Simeon called Niger. Almost certainly uh, a man of color. Lucius of Cyrene. So that's a different uh, nationality. So this is a multinational team. Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So this is someone who's wealthy and has an incredible amount of influence. It's like saying you were brought up with the president. And Saul, there he is in last place. And we know he's going to be the real game changer. And so there is this sense that uh, senior leaders and ministries are being gathered in to create this kind of beehive that people can come in and be sent out. And we read a little earlier that Barnabas, good old Barnabas, has gone and rescued Saul, who's had this you know, road to Damascus experience. Uh, he's trying to make sense of it all. And Barnabas goes and gets him, sees the potential in him, and brings him to Antioch to heal up and get discipled and be sent out. That's how important Antioch is for the mission of God. And so an apostolic hub is one in which people come in and are raised up and are sent out. And I see this over you as a church. You just watch and see. You're going to see more, you're already seeing extraordinary ministries being drawn in, like civil righteousness, like the connections uh, with, with the Bible Project, just extraordinary connections around you guys. You're kind of punching above your weight, but you wait and see. Look at what John Mark is doing. Look what has been birthed out of this community, but you just watch and see there are going to be more and more ministries brought in, raised up, and sent out in this place. If you're on the board, you're going to need to start budgeting for it. There's going to be a call upon this church to heal up broken leaders and even restore them, I believe. It's one of the marks of an Antioch community. And so, of course, we see uh, Paul uh, or Saul and Barnabas are sent out from the place of prayer. And, uh, you know, we've seen this again and again. Uh, it's a New Testament principle, right? They are in the 24-7 prayer room. The Spirit of God comes, and they go out, preach the gospel. 3,000 get saved, and the church is born. And uh, we see it again and again. Isaiah chapter 6. He's caught up into the presence of God, an ecstatic worshiping experience. And then in the presence of God, with the cherubim and seraphim and smoke and stuff shaking, God says, who can I send? Who will go? And Isaiah is commissioned to go. And so we don't just go into the prayer room and hide, but in the presence of God, we are sent out. We see that here in Antioch. As they're worshiping and fasting, the Spirit of God speaks, lay your hands on, set 
uh, Saul and Barnabas aside and send them out. And uh, one of my favorite stories uh, about that in our, in our journey was uh, a little prayer room in Africa. Uh, they were praying, and someone got a word that no one recognized. It was kakonga, K-A-C-U-N-G-A, kakonga. And so they did what anyone would do. They Googled it and found out it was a small island on Lake Victoria, which is a vast inland sea with thousands of islands. So they knew God was speaking to them about a small island in the middle of a lake more than a day's journey away. So they got in a car, they drove. They then got on a boat and they eventually found their way out onto this remote island and they found a people there who had never heard the name of Jesus. But they said, we have been sent by the living God to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day, 50 people on that island gave their lives to Jesus and a church was born in a day because in a prayer room, God gave a single word. Do you understand the Bible in one sense is still getting written and we get to be part of it. We're like the the new gospel, if you like. And uh, these are the kinds of things that happen as we push into the presence of God. And you've already met Brian, but Brian is one of the great examples uh, in our movement. He's like, he's like an icon for us of this convergence of prayer and mission. If you've read Dirty Glory or you read Red Moon Rising, you'll know something of Brian's story. But it, it's remarkable. It's so remarkable that Rolling Stone magazine picked up on it and, and, and uh, mainstream TV programs have been made and all the rest of it about the mission that God called Brian on. So Brian, just come and just take five minutes to just tell us about that. Thanks, Pete. I was, as I told you earlier, I was the pastor of a church in a little rural town in Norfolk in England, uh, very, very sedate and normal, and uh, we were praying. And my wife and I determined that we would pray more than we would watch TV. And we started to say to God, well, you know, this is back in the days before Netflix or anything, but we were just mildly into it. And we, we decided to pray, and we'd seen that this, this we'd seen 24-7 prayer were getting increasingly involved in the island of Ibiza, which the press had called Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like spring break, but on steroids. It's like 169 nights of partying. It, the, the, the west end of San Antonio in Ibiza at the time had more clubs, pubs, and bars per square mile than anywhere else in all of Europe. And so, <laughs> don't worry, I'm pretty relaxed about this. <laughs> it happens a lot. Some ridiculous prophet once said, you'll have a ministry of tears, which is, no, he wasn't ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, we prayed, and I think it was Bob Pierce who said, Lord, break my heart with what breaks yours. And as we pray for the lost, it was then Frederick Buchner who said, go where your best prayers take you. And as we pray for the lost, as we call out to God, he'll send us. And so my wife and my two sons, we moved to the west end of San Antonio, and we planted a work for 24-7 prayer right in the midst of that, where we walked the streets from midnight till six in the morning. We prayed for people. First year we got there, a thousand people said yes to prayer on the streets. We took people home. We picked people up who were covered in vomit. We befriended the lost and the broken. We, we became friends with prostitutes. We had a small congregation of 15 working prostitutes in attendance every Sunday. 
we just wanted to respond to the call and the heart of God to the lost. And that all started in prayer, in calling out to him. I was comfortable in England. I was even doing the will of God. But when God speaks, we have to respond. And when we say, God, break my heart with what break yours, he will. And God's heart tends to always be orientated towards the least, the last, and the lost. And we went. And it's still going today. They're still befriending people. We're still working with people. We clean during the pandemic. They're washing the clothes of homeless people and teaching people to pray that wouldn't normally know how to pray. And we even had a van in the end that we called the vomit van. <laughs> Sorry, you've had your breakfast, haven't you? And, uh, you know, but we used to take people home in that because we used to take them in our car. And, uh, and then one day someone was sick in the car and Tracy was taking the kids to school and she said, I had to leave a message saying, you know, don't sit the boys in the vomit kind of thing. So God gave us a van, you know, and I guess, I guess the thing, Pete, was always that we just wanted to be obedient. And when you're obedient, you step out, God then starts to equip you for what you need to, read the, to reach the lost. But he's looking for obedient hearts and he's still calling out the people, will you go? Will you go? Will you give it up? Are you willing to make sacrifices? See, I, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because it's a joy. It's a joy. I'm always overwhelmed with that sense of joy that comes with prayer that enables us to go and to love others. That we, have ex we experience mercy, we get the opportunity to express mercy. We experience grace, we get the opportunity to show grace. And so that's what happens when you're serious about prayer. God will revolutionize your life and take you to those that are broken. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Brian. When we commissioned Brian and Tracy to go to Ibiza in 2005, I, he, he stood on a platform a bit like this, and I said, Brian, just explain to everyone why God's called you to Ibiza, and he just started weeping, and he couldn't get the words out, and we said, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. And so we, 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 we prayed for him, crowd surfed them, sent them out, and all these years later, he's, he's still weeping. That's the heart of God. And so, listen, the Antioch church, this is what we see. It's, it's as old as the church. You push into the presence of God. You are a praying people. And out of being a praying people, you're a pioneering people for the sake of those who don't know Jesus, those who are marginalized, those who are broken. And I believe it's obvious that God is blessing you as a church. But I've been sent here to say to you, you are being blessed to be a blessing. That's what it means to be a resource community, a sending community. And as you attract the attention of the Father in prayer, get ready for the commissionings that are going to come. Uh, God has given you much and is going to give you more. You're going to be amazed what he's going to give you, but it is not to make you bigger and better. It is to make you more of a blessing to those who don't know his name. This is the Abrahamic covenant. If you say yes to this thing, this thing that I'm offering you today, that I sense from the Lord for you today, because it's not automatic. He's saying, this is what I want to do uh, in, 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 in Bridgetown. If you say yes to it, I'm going to tell you absolutely clearly, clearly it is going to cost you. It's going to cost you money. 
It's going to cost you prayer. It's going to cost you time. It's not always going to be comfortable, but I will also guarantee this, that God is going to do something so remarkable in your midst that you, if you will pick up your cross and follow him, you will see thousands saved. You will see this city reshaped. You will see those who are poor loved. You will see those who are marginalized included. And you will be a blessing to the church in this nation.